And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Here we go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome. It is Wednesday, the 25th of January. There's snow on the ground here. We are live from the bunker. My name is Jason Hunt. I'm the editor here at Sci-Fi For Me. Happy to have all of you here with us, whether you are here live or Memorex. Good to have all of you. Little rock and roll today to get the get the blood pumping a little bit. Uh, programming note: Tomorrow, Mr. Hoffman will be sitting in and hosting the show. He's talking about horror soundtracks that don't exist. Should be an interesting uh, interesting program. I have to go set up a flying camera out at Arrowhead Stadium, so I may not be back in time. <clears throat> All right. I mentioned uh, live and Memorex. We're also available on various different podcast platforms. Give a shout out to everybody who's listening to us. Go ahead and check out the live video every now and again. You can jump in the chat. You can leave a comment. You can send us an email live from the bunker at sci fi for me.com. You can join our Discord. And continue the conversation over there. Some lively conversations happening over there. A lot of it has to do with uh, Wizards of the Coast and D&D and, and that sort of thing. Uh, recommendations for books. And of course, you can always give us uh, suggestions for topics to talk about and guests to invite and, and that sort of thing. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a fun little bit. It's nice to have everybody conversating and ready to go and talking to each other. And, uh, and good to see all of that activity happening as well uh blackia good to see you in the chat brand new name i haven't seen before i see cam in there mazes is there mrs boss of course hovering in the background and um yeah looks like uh looks like we're gonna get some of our usual suspects and maybe some people who haven't been here before so if you are new to the program you're new to the channel welcome we're glad you're here and uh, happy to have all of you with us. Feel free to subscribe if you want to, but uh, certainly under no obligation to do so. We're happy you're here one way or the other. All right. <clears throat> I mentioned music, and uh, we're going to be talking about some music today. My guest has been on the sci-fi hit Eureka as Nathan Stark. He's currently playing... President Hunter Franklin in The Oval over on BET for Tyler Perry. But he's also a rock and roll musician. He's got an album in the works. He's got a new music video coming out. He is uh, the front man for Ed Quinn and the Swamp Metal All-Stars. He joins us now. Ed Quinn, welcome to the program, sir. Hey, how are you? Good. How are you doing? Thanks for being here. 
I'm, I'm, I'm doing great. I just, I was listening to your, your rolling and, uh, so you're going to be uh, doing some camera stuff at Arrowhead, huh? Yeah. My, my day job involves a number of different things, you know, state hand work and everything, but we're going to go out. I'm, I'm part of the local crew that helps set up the sky camp. So I get to do that tomorrow nice. in the snow and the cold in Arrowhead stadium where I got to climb 106 steps to bring a motor to the top of the wall. <sighs> Yeah. Wow. It's, uh, it's gonna be a it's gonna be quite a a weekend of football. What yeah. A, uh, yeah. It is. What a great couple of uh, championship games I got lined up. It is. Yeah. And well, and you've got quite a bit of stuff lined up too. I I was reading an interview, uh, where you were talking about all of the different things that you've got going. You're a writer. You're a producer. You're an aspiring director. You're an actor. You're a musician. You're you're working pretty much all the time. But <clears throat> you studied with the great Joe Satriani. And your work philosophy kind of reminds me of Michael Caine's philosophy. It's basically take the work when you can get it. You know, people talk to him about Jaws. He's like, well, I bought my mother a nice house. You know, it's one of those things. And you talk yeah. about, you know, getting the work because at some point there, is, there isn't the work. Is that, a, is, that a flaw, is that a mindset and a work ethic that you kind of fell into? Or has that always been your approach to things? Uh, I would say both. I would say it's always been my approach because I love working. There is that thing in Hollywood where, you know, you should be precious and you should only do this job or work with that director, which is great. I mean, if you got a trust fund or, you know, you're, you're living in someone's guest house and you don't, uh, you can somehow get by by not making any money and, and not working. But I know I, I graduated from Cal. I thought I was going into, uh, you know, real estate. I ended up kind of, weirdly backdooring into going to Europe and mauling for a few years, realized I always wanted to be an actor, then started studying. So by the time I really got my career going, I had been needing to make a living and feed myself for a long time. And I've always been able to do that. But, you know, I, I, I love, yeah, Michael Caine at one point, I, I can't remember what movie it is, but it was something about people always asking about the movie. He goes, I've never seen the movie, but I see the kitchen that it built every day. Yeah. yeah. And I, I just there is something that you have to appreciate about people who will take ego and pretension and put it aside and really focus on work. My mom calls me a blue collar actor. And if you look at my, my resume, it's kind of the truth. I mean, there's, there's guys with huge careers that have done 10 jobs, six jobs. You know, they got, they got a movie or a series as their second job and they were on it for 10 years and they've done a, you know, a couple other, I've, I mean, I don't know how many series I've been on. I've probably been on 50 or 60 that have aired and probably another 40 that didn't air. I mean, that's, that's another thing, you know, you used to do a pilot every year and it wouldn't get picked up. And so you're always kind of hustling and working. And I think it keeps you grounded too. Um, I just, I, I love working. I love having a call sheet. I love having a schedule. Um, and, uh, you know, most of the job is showing up, is staying there. Yeah. Is, and I mean, I mean, showing up like to all the auditions and reading all the scripts and all the stuff you don't get. Um, that's the hard part. Um, the, the reward is actually working. So. Does, does the reward offset the heartache enough? I mean, is there, there, are there, I'm sure that there's one or two jobs that are just, oh, if only, you know, there's those, it's those shoulda, woulda, coulda jobs that, well, I mean, Eureka, I guess would be a, a good example of that because you're, you're on there, you're playing Nathan Stark. 
there's an opportunity there for him to get a spinoff. The original plan was a spinoff for you, and then show creators left things what mm-hmm. going on back behind the scenes, and then there's no spinoff. I mean, you could have been done at that point. And that's one of I'm like the heavyweight champion of the things that could have happened, should have happened. You know, I think even Eureka, I think I had tested on seven different shows. And I was in first position on an ABC show with a Academy Award nominated director and was sitting in the parking lot. And I was first choice by a million miles. And the president of that network just had this bee in his bonnet that he'd want to go a different direction. And my phone rings and I'm like, you didn't get it. You got to go now test for your. And I literally just was like, oh, hmm. whoo grab the Eureka sides and walk into my Eureka screen test and, and end up getting that one. Yeah. And then, and then Eureka, I mean, my, that first season, I loved that show so much. And I figured, I thought I had hit the absolute jackpot. You know, this was, this was before Showtime, before you know, AMC was still playing Westerns. I mean, we were, sci-fi was a network at that point. That was the pinnacle of cable. Uh, Battlestar Galactica was getting all this incredible reviews, was just this real, you know, special, loud, critically acclaimed show. And now we were going to be this big commercial success for the for the network. And we were. We're Still, the pilot of Eureka is the highest rated show in the history of the network. Nothing even comes remotely close now. Um, And I thought I was all set up. And then a bunch of the adults get in a fight. And the next thing you know, all the big, you know, plans like spinning off i mean and it's you know you can look at it like you know oh poor me but it was just it, it just made a bunch of of a real sense you know i mean like when you have a hit show like buffy what do you do you spin off a character like angel or when you have a hit sitcom like cheers you spin off a one of your you know characters like frazier it's something that you just do it's, it's very sort of uh almost you know it's like it's, it's arithmetic yeah um I was the obvious character to get spun off. They had an idea for the show already. Um, and then the next thing you know, it's it, it just changes. And that's this thing with this business. You've got to ground yourself in different ways because the business is kind of going to be really cold, really merciless. There's It's not a meritocracy. You, you know, the, the best person usually doesn't get the job, it seems like. <laughs> um, you know, so you just do the best you can. You're appreciative when you get the, the work. You try and make fans with every job you get, you know. Sometimes it's the ones you don't get that hurt the worst because you want to work with these showrunners or directors or writers that are, you know, they're they're on their way. And right. by not getting the opportunity to work with them, you're not now part of the, you know, someone like Tarantino hires the same guys over and over again. Um, you want to be able to, like, kind of grab on to those shooting stars right and when you don't get the job even if the movie doesn't come out or the pilot doesn't go at least you've worked with them and you make a great impression so that's kind of what i've always done is just every job treat it the best i can and um and uh you know work as hard as i possibly can whether i'm whether i'm happy to be there or not one thing (laughs) one thing that i noticed about there was a particular block of time with science fiction shows where we had Star Trek, we had Stargate, we had Battlestar Galactica, we had Eureka, all of these different programs that were out. And you'd see the same actors uh, cross-pollinating all over the place. I mean, Michael Shanks was all over the place. Marina Sirtis was everywhere. John Delancey all over the place. And I'm thinking, we're, mm-hmm. we're, we've got a, a, a small stable of actors in the barn going and doing everything. But you have been on 
all sorts of different types of shows. You haven't you haven't fit into that pigeonhole where you know Ed Quinn is just a science fiction actor. Was that on purpose, or you're just looking at any kind of thing to do for work, or you're avoiding being typecast? Yeah, no, absolutely survival mode. I mean that's that's that, that's the truth. I mean I, I've always been kind of an outlier. I feel like I've never you know, for better or worse, I've never sort of fit into like this one role where you can always kind of go to me. I mean, I think there was a a run of about six or seven years where my role was the love interest of the alpha female. So we had all these incredibly (laughs) strong roles being written for women. And then when they needed a, um, you know, they needed to find her boyfriend, whether it was one day at a time, two broke girls, mistresses, revenge, uh, CSI New York, like uh, over and over and over again. I mean, that was kind of a role that I, I fit pretty well. Um, but yeah, you know, the ability to be able to do half hour comedy helps me a lot. I love it, actually. I love the pressure of it. I, that's what I loved about Eureka was that it was actually funny. It was supposed to be a dark comedy. And that was one of the big bites. The network yeah. wanted it to be a, a procedural um and then they kind of trying to make it like but but jokey and it was just they, they you know i, I think m- most of the viewers of that show saw a, a real huge change between season one and then season two and three and 3.5 and they started splitting the show up and doing stuff and then yeah. it tried to find its way back in four and five but at that point it lost a lot of its audience um but for me i you know i think acting is acting and it really comes down to the writing and if you're if you can kind of, you know, clear your mind, know your character and listen, I mean, that's the one thing I always try to teach young actors is just listen, listen to what the other person's saying. The words are going to come. Don't be sitting there waiting, you know, for my line, my line, my line. Um, Cause it kind of feels sort of staccato. It doesn't have a real flow. I mean, right. um, you know, Paul Newman is like one of the greatest listeners in the history of uh, film. And you can see that's why they're always cutting to him on other people's lines. Cause you see him listening to it. And if it's, you know, sometimes you got to, you know, especially on a big half hour comedy, you got to be able to hit a joke or you want to, you know, if you have a sense of humor that's maybe kind of dark, you can always bring in little, um, you can turn a line on its on its ear, so to speak. I would do that a lot with something like Nathan Stark. I do that a lot on my current show, The Oval. Um, but yeah, no, the, the, being able to have a real, uh, being able to do so many different genres is um, a real blessing because it opens up a lot more work for me and it's work is tough it's hard to get jobs there's a lot of people out there looking for work and so um you need to be able to be as uh, as close to a swiss army knife as you can possibly uh possibly pull off yeah now especially during you know the last couple two three years with the pandemic and lockdown and all that stuff going on you you've managed to have work i mean you've got the oval you're in fourth season right now uh how how did that change the approach to work as far as you know now we've got this this everybody's in panic mode you've got a completely different you know change everything about how you do stuff but you know you talk about in in other interviews how you got lucky during pandemic you were able to work and you were doing all of this stuff did 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 your career kind of go sideways did you have different opportunities that presented themselves how how did how did things change uh, in, in the last couple of years? What changed was all of the heartache and coulda, woulda, shoulda and second places and, you know, 
A-list showrunners and directors calling me at home to commiserate about not being able to hire me for this job or running into them, you know, after the project's done and they pull me aside at a party or a Trader Joe's or something and go, it was a disaster. Everything we knew would happen because we couldn't hire you happened. So that all of that chapter sort of ended and mm-hmm. I found myself in the catbird seat because... Tyler, you know, Tyler vetted me for a few weeks before he offered me the job because he just wanted me to understand what he was asking. He works real fast, which sounds great, but it's also, you know, I am expected to learn 22 episodes of television in a month, sometimes only a few weeks. Ouch. And I am expected to come on set and deliver every scene back to back without stopping and there's no parade and there's nobody's clapping that's the job and i in having actually maybe had such a uh really disparate diverse uh catalog of work having done you know so many small movies and big procedurals and stuff where everybody's you know i've been on a lot of shows that people everybody's fighting and it's a really hard you know tumultuous set and being able to focus and deliver is something that really works has behooved me in this role because this is so fun. It's so rewarding. We do work so fast. We are compensated so well. And I personally never leave the lot when I go to work because there's this historic district on Tyler Perry Studios. So I move on to the lot in these big, beautiful old homes and live there. And people are like, ask me, how's Atlanta? I'm like, I have no idea. I never go. I just, <laughs> I, I love the studio. I, you know, Whole Foods delivers me a bunch of groceries. I go for walks. I study, I work out and I focus on the job and I fly home. Yeah. Um, and my, you know, Tyler said, he goes, you know what? If Ed can do it, we can all do it. And so when the pandemic hit, we were, we were literally the day before we were going to shoot season two got shut down in March, March, 2020. And then Tyler spent four months, five months building all this temporary housing for the crew and then putting all the actors in all this these homes in the historic district. And we called it Camp Quarantine. And we went in, we did two seasons under quarantine. So while everybody else was all this and it was it was scary. I mean, I know people don't wanna, you know, everybody's like, oh, poor actor, blah, but I know so many people, I mean, working class actors like myself, yeah. there were no jobs. Shows were shut down. Shows were, you know, series weren't being picked up. Series weren't getting back orders. Um, they would start work and they would get shut down. Uh, it was it was a really, really hard time for so many people in the industry. Um, and so for once in my career, I found myself in a great position. You know? well, uh, maybe, maybe because I was, you know, I took the job when nobody else, maybe, you know, I mean, the job was offered to me, but I don't know. I don't yeah. know who would have taken the oval over me, you know, with some some bigger name or something, but um, maybe Bradley I, Cooper. I, maybe Bradley Cooper. Maybe Bradley <laughs> Cooper would, would have won. But yeah, but then, you know, the thing, Bradley Cooper doesn't need money. He doesn't need a job either. But um, but no, I mean, there might have been some other actors who who maybe there's some actors who would have passed on the job. Nah, I'm not, I don't want. I don't want to do that. I'm yeah. gonna be like, I want to do some kind of different show. This is fine, which is great. Um, like I said, I always take the jobs that come. Um, you know, I pass on some things just because it's. You know, it doesn't work with my schedule or, 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 or for some other reason. But for the most part, you know, if it if it makes me richer, it makes me happy. I'm going to I'm going to do the job. And that's been a really good, you know, uh, a North Star for me. 
Um, I've always followed it. And in this circumstance with the Oval, it just was a, a real stroke of luck. Now, there are a lot of people look at the at the rich, entitled actor people out there in Hollywood, you know, the glitz, the glamour, whatnot, and they don't really, they, it, it doesn't really occur to them the impact that something like that has on the crew, on, on, on the grips and the lighting people and the makeup and the hair and the costume people and the set people and, you know, the construction guys and, and the transportation guys. All of that shuts down. There, it's not just the actors who are out of work. It's everybody, you know, below the line who, who they don't get to go to work either. Um, but no, it, well, yeah, it, 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 and that's it, absolutely brutal. And, you know, but, you know, and those folks, the, the crew folks tend to be able to find work mm. a lot much easier in a sense. You know, you think about just think about some of your favorite actors and then like go look at their IMDb and see when this show ended and when they got their next show. And there could be a year or two. There could be five or six years. Like there's, you know, you go into deserts as an actor where you haven't worked for four or five years. And then all of a sudden, now you're going to take a two year hiatus because of a pandemic. Um, You know, so everybody wore it, you know, the, 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 the crew who are, you know, working class folk and, you know, they, nobody works harder and they grind. Um, they're all of a sudden there's no productions for them to uh, to go to. And then you've got actors who are getting at that point where they really need a job, haven't worked in a couple of years. Oh, and now Hollywood's shutting down. And so it was, it was, it was hard for a lot of folks. And it was, um, you know, I think we're still kind of digging out of the, of the trauma of that and that kind of, you know, aspect as well. Yeah. I remember reading articles about when Tyler Perry set all that stuff up and I thought, Oh, that's, that's a, that's a bold move. That's smart because, you know, now he can, you know, control his environment a little bit more and still get work done. And I was really surprised that, well, I guess none of the other studios really have the same kind of resources. You've got the backlogs there in LA, but it's not really the same thing. But I was surprised that, you know, he's the outlier. He's he's the one who's decided, okay, here's the situation. We pivot and we do something else. And it didn't seem like the rest of the studios did anything like that to, to try to adjust and get yeah, going. Yeah, they can. I mean, I mean that, that's the thing is, you know, like, look, Tyler is this anomaly. I mean, there's a reason he's a billionaire and there's a reason that Tyler Perry Studios is going to be, you know, it's gonna, that, that brick and mortar is going to be there for, for centuries. I mean, he is building a state-of-the-art new 21st century massive he's already built it it's already there but it's not stopping and then part of his business model the way he shoots his shows just allowed him now it was i mean he spent i don't even know what he spent i mean tens of millions of dollars to build to to shoot the shows um and and but but you can't if you're if you're going to have a crew that's going to go into quarantine for three weeks a month you can kind of do that. You know, you take care of everything, all their meals, all this kind of stuff. It's kind of like going on doing an independent movie. And then they get a week off and they go home and they see their families and that sort of stuff. Right. But like a regular production, like I had friends on shows in Atlanta, they couldn't do it. And then all it takes is one person to get a COVID positive test. Then you contact trace them. And now there's 30 people in the crew that are gone and you have to shut down the whole show for, I mean, I had, I had friends who, who got contact traced the last day of production in Christmas 2021 and had to quarantine, couldn't come home. Mm. We're like, then like, you know, like mandated to stay in their apartment in Atlanta, not come see their families. I mean, it was, it was really, really hard, but yeah, most, 
most shows couldn't do it. And you know, and you had people and like, you know, and everybody's trying to be as safe as possible. But you know, like if your crew is going home every day and there's people who are going to school and people are going to work and people, you're going to get exposed. And then yeah. that, you know, exposes the entire production. Um, but you also can't really take people and, you know, quarantine them for six months, just from a financial aspect, it just doesn't make any sense. So, um, it, uh, it was, it was a very hard time that, uh, you know, I think we'll be studied for a while, but again, I got lucky. I was, um, I happened to be working for, for Mr. Perry and he, uh, he's just this force of nature. He didn't want to be shut down. Well, and you've mentioned before that you're, you're lucky and, you know, a lot of, you know, there, you have that, you know, luck is, uh, preparation plus opportunity. And, you know, you have, you have opportunities presented yourself. You talk about Tyler Perry's work ethic, your work ethic. How has, how has your, your work as an actor been impacted by your work as a musician? Do they, do they live in separate worlds or, or are you in the same mindset, whatever project you're, you're starting? No, I mean, for me, breaking down a scene has always, cause I was a musician first. And so for me, um, I always look at scenes as a piece of music um, that there is an arc, there's an event, there's a breakdown, there's a, you know, it's, I mean, like I look, I played, you know, rock and roll. So it's pretty, you know, it's, it's you come into a song either like low or, or smoking and then, you know, you, you have a chorus and a verse and then maybe the next chorus builds and the, you know, or in a bridge or a verse goes big and you can do the same things with, with scripts. And it really sort of helps again. So you're listening and not just memorizing and waiting for your line um, you, you, you know, the arc of the scene, just like sort of like this crescendo of a piece of music. And then the words just sort of kind of, kind of come out and you, you tend to be able to shape scenes very well. And, you know, the best scenes are the ones where you just get out of the way because the writer has nailed it. And all you got to do is not screw up. And this scene's going to be fantastic. And there's some scenes that are, there's a lot of exposition. There's a lot, you know, it's a lot, some stuff feels a little ham fisted. And so, how do you deliver that and make it not feel like you're just delivering the mail? And so, um, you know, there are a lot of tricks involved to be able to do that. Again, that's what you get paid for. That's it's not like you know anybody needs to be clapping. It's like that. The whole point is the, the writers know, like, look, we got to get a lot of information out in the scene. Um, and so, you know, just ways to deliver it. And for me, again, whenever I, 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 you know, base it sort of musically, it tends to work better for me. Well, speaking of music, we got a new uh, a new music video coming out, Lights Out Love. We're going to talk about that. We're going to take a very quick break so I can tell Google where to interrupt us. <coughs> and we will be back with more uh, with Ed Quinn right on the other side of this. Stand by, everybody. Broadcasting from a device built by a teenage genius using leftover parts from an erector set, this is Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Hi everyone, Jason Hunt here inviting you to join us every Saturday for news, science fiction, fantasy, and horror headlines from the week, plus interviews, updates on events going on around the world, and the weather forecast for the same. It's all wrapped up in one neat package for your weekend. We call it Good Morning Multiverse. Every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 Central, right here on Sci-Fi For Me TV. Foreign Bodies, Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern, only on Sci-Fi For Me TV.
Back live from the bunker, Jason Hunt here along with all of you. And yes, that is uh, that is our kind of retrograde corner uh, here in the studio because coming up right after uh, this program, uh, I'm going to be over at Radio Retro Futures Channel talking to them. I'm going to be answering questions over there. Uh, but right now, we are continuing to ask questions of our guest, Mr. Ed Quinn, who is uh, the star of The Oval, but also the front man for a rock and roll band. Now, you've been, you've been a musician since you were 10. The name of the band is the Swamp Metal, Ed Quinn and the Swamp Metal All-Stars. And I gotta say, that's that's a pretty that's a pretty uh, uh, heavy duty uh, group name there. How did that that come about? Well, it, it it originally came about because so I played in some bands in the '90s, and we almost got signed, but the band imploded, and then I took over vocals, and I was able to sort of get the band signed, but then the record deal imploded, and then in the years following that, I started to work on my sound um and my voice like, like i have a uh, a vocal range about <laughs> that wide so i gotta stay in it um and the standard electric guitar is tuned e to e or so maybe e flat to e flat um but i found these baritone guitars in which i was able to tune c sharp to c sharp or even b to b um and it really opened up this vocal range for me and a friend of mine goes oh my god you kind of were like a rock metal outfit but now you're like i don't know like swamp metal <laughs> because it's so <laughs> low down low and i'm like oh i love that yeah and then also you know at my you know at my age with the guys that i'm playing with everybody i know has lives they have careers families you know obligations and there's this band, um, the Eagles of Death Metal, which is um, they're this phenomenal band, and uh, you can look up. And, and what they really have is what I thought was very interesting is almost a revolving lineup. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of guys can join it. Um, there's some very famous guys that uh, that jump in and out of the band. Um, and I was like, you know, that's that's perfect. The Swamp Metal All Stars because it, it's going to be like heavy, big rock and roll. And if you check out uh, Freak Show Cold or Routine. Um, the first two videos I released, they're all on YouTube and everywhere, and all every music streamer too, you know, Spotify and um, iTunes. Um, or my last, I just released a, co- uh, a cover song of Jimi Hendrix's uh, "Manic Depression." Um, you can hear that it's it's pretty heavy and it's pretty fun, but also my band changes all the time. Like the the, the drummer who, who was on my who played on their album wasn't able to do the video, but I was able to call the incredible uh, Brett Fitz, who is um, Slash's drummer, Alice Cooper's drummer. I mean, just an absolute legend. Fitzy is so insane. Um, And so he came out to shoot the video in San Jose for Lights Out Love. Um, Actor who you guys may know well, um, Alec Bonovic, who's a big actor on Snowpiercer and and, uh, a bunch of big, you know, sci-fi genre shows. he plays bass on the in, on the uh, on the music video, and then my producer Adam, who can play all the instruments, played keyboards on the on the on the video. So it's um, you know, it's it's a fun name, but it's also there's a, there's a reason to it. It's like you know, I, I never know who, what the lineup's going to be, so um, the lineup is always changing. When I first saw it, uh, you know, I saw you know Swamp Metal All Stars, and my first thought 
was Traveling World Worries. And, ah, you know, you've, yeah, got, yeah. you've got all of this mix of all these different people who have their own acts and their own things that they're doing, and they all get together just to jam. And yeah. that that's the just the first blush impression just from the name. And then, you know, yeah. it's, I, I, I listened to, to Freak Show Cold this morning. Uh, I like it. I, I th- I'm not into metal that much, but this is this is pretty yeah. cool stuff. Now, let me ask you this, because I I think I'm hearing something that I don't know that I'm hearing. Are there measures where there's an extra beat? Because I keep thinking I'm hearing an extra beat somewhere, and I'm thinking, hold on, that's that's you know. That, that, that? so that's that that one. I you know, on this album, I I think it's the only song, but I tend to. Not on purpose, not to try and be cool or tricky. I tend to write in a weird time sometimes. Um, a lot of three, four, um, a lot of five, four. This song is actually, it was hilarious when we were doing the drums. The drummer and the producer are sitting there going like, what is, what are you, what are you doing? And they're counting it. And it's in nine, eight, which is a very oh. weird time signature. So it's the the verses are nine, eight, and then it straightens out into eight, eight, four, four um for the chorus and breakdowns and everything else so yes you are absolutely right you're the first person who's picked up on that that it is a weird time signature and i i don't do that to be tricky that 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 is the one thing though it's not like i'm like oh i'm gonna write this song in a weird time because i'm i'm you know whatever i'm you know i want to be cool or i want to impress other musicians i just that's what kind of comes out and it you know my drummer is used to it you know like the great uh, james austin because He's had to deal with this for 25 years. <laughs> Where all of a sudden, this one song, he's like, oh, "Dude, you're throwing that extra." And he's like, "He's sitting there, has to count through it." He's like, "Okay, yeah. all right, no, 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 all right, I got it. No, 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 don't, don't change it. I got it. I got it." Um, so it's, uh, I don't know. I love bands like Soundgarden, and they they play in a lot of weird time signatures too. You know, it's yeah. it sort of kind of builds the tension a little bit, and then you slam into uh, straight time in the in the chorus. Well, I've got. I think maybe I because I've I've done some composing in my in my misspent youth uh, myself, but it was for it was for wind ensemble. It wasn't for rock band. But um, no. it's either now old brain old, old brain fog. It's either Rush or 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 Pink Floyd that has a song that flips back and forth between four four and three four. And I'm always. Yeah, I think it's Rush. I think it's Rush. Ba-da, 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 ba-da. Yeah, and and so I'm. I yeah. guess maybe that makes me a little sensitive to it. But I, I'm here because because I'm kind of tapping along with the beat, and all of a sudden there's this this skip, and I hold on, he's got an extra beat yeah. in there. This is weird. But yeah, nine, I thought that worked eight. well. With the song, the song is sort of a dark song, and so I thought it kind of would work well. And then, but then you know, the next song, you know, the next song I released, routine, couldn't be more straight. Oh, um, and then you know, interestingly, manic depression is um three four, um, you know, uh, bam bam bam. So it's um it's a it's a it's a song that's in a weird time signature too. Maybe that's why I like it. I don't know. You should do some metal waltzes. Oh yeah, no, I don't. Again, I gotta stay in my lane. I started, I started, I started venture, I started venturing out a little bit. Things, the wheels come off pretty quick. Well, now, okay. So when you when you say that you've got a very narrow range as far as you know singing and music, you also talk about you've got a narrow range on on acting. But I mean, you've been all over the place genre-wise. Is is it? Are you talking mainly because you're playing the same kind of character over and over again? Because I don't really see that in in the different things that you've done. Uh, I, I don't. You know, look, I'm not a character actor. Right. I start trying to do voices or ticks or something like that, and it's 
I, it doesn't doesn't work great. But you know, like I'm I am technically a leading man. But so, but it's um, but I'm also six foot four. I'm also got a deep voice. My energy rests in a certain area that I think I I, mean, I, I always feel like an outlier when I'm around other actors. So <laughs> I don't think I'm uh, you know, I, I'm 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 not that. Well, what's the what's the right word? Um, I don't know. I've just always sort of felt like an outlier, and and in, in in casting, whenever like you know, there's a big job and there's a screen test and there's three of us, it's like that old Sesame Street. You know, one of these guys is doing his <laughs> own thing because <laughs> it's like it's three dudes. I'm like, oh yeah, oh okay, that's what they're looking at. or me. Yeah, and so it's uh, which which tends to be the easiest way for a studio exec or network president or someone to be like no not that guy we don't i don't understand why you would want him um but then you know i tend to get jobs it tends to go well so that's that's always been a good uh you know that's probably what's given me my longevity is that um, you know i actually get the job i don't get fired um but um no i mean look there i i you know i i do have a huge range in which i can do you know period genre uh procedural you know you know like 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 single camera comedy multi-cam um so yeah when i say i'm uh i've got a narrow range it's just the kind of roles that i'm yeah. gonna get hired for now you, you're not gonna probably hire me as the, the kooky next door neighbor well i i i could see you playing the kooky next door neighbor i mean throw you behind a fence and give you a fishing hat you could be the next wilson right exactly there i am well Look, it, or, give me bad advice. There, there's actually one of the last pilots i did that didn't go was this great pilot, and it broke my heart because I was the the ex husband with terrible life advice for my for my son, um, Allison Hannigan was my ex wife, and it was it was a, I was one of the, I was actually kind of shocked it didn't go. It was a really great pilot. It was the first time I worked with Carrie Washington. I just got to work with her again, and she was producing it, her, and her company was producing. Um, Produced uh, Shadow Force. It's a Lionsgate movie, and um, her her company, State Street, or no, Simpson Street, is um, producing it. So, but the first time I got to work with Carrie was on this this multicam, and I kind of was, you know, you're actually right. I was the sitcom character who comes bursting in with terrible terrible advice for my son or her or everybody, and it was a shame it didn't get to go because it sounded hilarious. Uh, now and, and I hear Allison Hannigan as your ex wife, and I'm like, no, she's no, I'm. I'm not that old. <laughs> you, know, it's like, yeah. you know, you just start to feel it after a while. It's like, she's, she's playing, she, you know, when Molly Ringwald she's started playing, playing a mother, you know, I'm like, no, wait a minute. Hold on. No, I'm not old enough to, for, for that to happen. Uh, yeah. Yeah. She can't be a yeah, mom yet. Yeah. No, right? totally. So, uh, shadow force, this is a, this is a new thing. You're, are, are you, um, you're playing what, a, a mercenary, a, a soldier. You're, you're playing a character named mm-hmm. Parker. How much can you yes, I, talk about this? I can't tell much because as soon as I start talking about it, I'm going to blow the whole exciting reveal. That's okay. so cool. So um, I just try and like be general. Basically, the movie is about uh, a, uh, a, a, a a team of international assassins. Um, the only l- rule being that you cannot leave the group or the whole group turns on you. Uh, two of the assassins... Carrie and the amazing Omar Sy fall in love and they've been on the run and we pick up where the team is being brought together by the government, uh, the shadowy sort of secretary general played by Mark Strong um, to hunt them down. 
Um, and I don't really want to go any more than that because I'll start getting into my character and there's like a lot of really cool stuff that I want to protect. So yeah, <laughs> and, I, get, and I don't want to get fired after the fact for, right? for, uh, for, for giving away too many secrets. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to be a Mark Ruffalo and, and just spill everything yeah. right in, in the first, yeah, exactly. in the first interview. <laughs> So what what comes next for you? I mean, you've got Shadow Force coming out. You've got this album hitting. Uh, uh, Lights Out Love is the next music video that's going to hit. When does that come out? That's this month. Yeah, that that's going to be uh, Valentine's Day. Oh, okay. Love, love. I, sure. I didn't come up with that. My publicity did. But yeah, we're going to start promoting that a lot. I'm really proud of this video. This this the you know Freak Show was a a video we shot like in an afternoon um, on these volume stages with Synapse. Uh, the great Chris Probst just did me a favor. Um, routine was me going out with a buddy, uh, big fashion photographer named Steve Lyon. And we shot that cool. And I, you know, called in a favor with the, uh, un impossibly gorgeous Donna Feldman, but lights out love was a four day, massive shoot, massive crew. Uh, Nick Martinez, who's, uh, you know, he, he's up in Northern California. He's this incredible director. Uh, we, and I mean, it's, it's, the, the, the beautiful Larissa Davis is in it as a stripper. There's muscle car races. There's, you know, me and the Swamp Metal All-Stars on a, two different rooftops, one during the day and one at night in the pouring rain, freezing. Mm. Thank goodness uh, Fitzy and um, Alex are uh, both from Canada because they were not, <laughs> you know, it was, I was like low 40s, you know, upper 30s pouring rain the beginning of like all this rain that california's had one of the first big storms we were on the roof for it yeah. um video looks amazing it's so fun um so that comes out next um i've closed the year on a really cool movie a really cool crime thriller western like modern western called man in the long black coat um uh, neil mcdonough um uh, oh, who else is in the movie? Dermot Mulroney. Um, it, I mean, it, yeah, it was. It's a really, really cool, dark kind of uh, thriller that was that was really, really fun. Uh, um, Mark Fierstein, by the way, was the lead. Um, so it was. Uh, yeah. So I, I, you know, it's great. And then I'm, you know, I just got the back call. I'm going back to shoot the next season of the Oval next month. So um, still really busy. Lots going on. Gonna have these two movies come out this year going to keep releasing music you know in this day and age you don't really release a record you just kind of release singles like every month so i've got another eight songs already recorded i think i'm going to get into the studio before i go back to the oval and get the drums down for the next 10 songs so that i can just keep releasing music it's just fun i love doing it you know and then people come up and want to shoot music videos and i'm like fantastic and we shoot those and so uh yeah just everything's great is is it easier now with you know streaming platforms and and YouTube and Twitch and all these all these different video platforms, you you got Vivo's got a channel. You got all these different places where you can put your stuff out there. You know all these different podcast platforms, Spotify and Amazon Music and all that. Is it easier to get your music out in the world these days than it was, say, you know, ten fifteen years ago and and back when when you had the band first and you were getting signed and What's what's changed? Is is it just different? Every everything has changed. Yeah, it is. I mean, I it makes me sad that I couldn't. If I, especially with the guys, some of the guys in my band that were so smart back then, our early guys into the internet, we would have slaughtered this era. I mean, just because every the problem with back in the day was what'd you do? You you formed a band, you started playing little shows, you started getting a following. 
Then you had to like make a demo tape. So you had to go to like, you know, very few studios. All the equipment was big and expensive. It cost you this money. You'd make your demo tape and then you'd be trying to get it out. And you had these mailing lists in mm -hmm. which you would try and get people to come to shows, try and get recognized by this label A&R because the record companies had the monopoly. Like you, you couldn't just make these CDs. I mean, you could make CDs and, you know, sell them on the, on, at your shows or whatever, but you know, you needed to get radio play. You needed to like be able to get into tower records. And it was so incredibly hard. And then, and then so many, I had to get a bunch of my music off the internet. Cause like there's, you know, old, I'm sure A&R guys or record labels who had just boxes of thousands and thousands of demos. And they just started like releasing them all on all the platforms and, you know, mm -hmm. maybe and claiming the rights to them and who, who's oh, wow. going to stop them now. Like I'm personally with distro kid, they do everything for me. They basically, they release it to, you know, I don't know, 47 streamers. The day, the, the minute that I want it released, it's released. Like I have it set up ahead of time. They do all the copywriting. They, you know, YouTube and all the places monitor it. So if your song's being used in a commercial or on a video or something, you get paid for that. Um, the distro vid is the same thing. Like I'm releasing all this stuff. Like I could sign a record label right now, right? It, you know, but I don't know if anything would be different for me if I got if I had if I had a record deal. I mean, they, I mean, just more promotion. But I'm in a very unique situation where I'm on a television show and. I just call up my publicity firm and say, hey, man, I really want to help releasing uh, Lights Out Love video. And they're like, fantastic. We're going to call this and we're going to call that. And we're going to do this. Um, and so it's it's amazing because the artist has all the control. Now, the one issue is monetizing it yeah. is, you know, music's free. Music's free. Uh, it just doesn't. People don't buy records anymore. You don't get royalties. You got you. And every. Because so many major artists, you know, and, and legacy artists aren't making money from selling records anymore. They start, you know, they were like, you know, there's a lot of artists that famously wouldn't let their stuff be used in movies or wouldn't let their stuff be used in um, in commercials. And now all of a sudden you hear all their music in both because yeah. they need to make the money. because They're not making money elsewhere. So it's it becomes a very difficult thing for artists, you know, like if you see there's a song that you like and the song 69 cents, just, just buy it for them. You know, there's been, there's so much work. I mean, musicians are making pennies on the dollar at this point. And, um, there's an entertainment you know, lawyer in, I want to say she's in Arizona. Her name's Crystal Delgado. She's also a musician. And she mm -hmm. actually, she actually posted over on LinkedIn about this the other day. She's talking about how musicians make money these days. And her big thing was, you know, you've got to you've got to be open to the idea of licensing your music, you know, putting mm -hmm. your putting your music yep. in the soundtracks for TV shows and films and and that kind yep. of thing, because you're right, it's you know, we're we're well past the days of Napster, and and that had a huge uh, a huge impact, and now you know anybody can go grab anything for free, like you say, and. It's it's tough. Now, if, if somebody comes to you and say, OK, how do I get started in this? What do you tell them? In the music industry? Yeah. I mean, I would just say start recording songs and, and start kind of, you know, releasing them and, or, you know, get yourself a TikTok and, and, and play little songs. Build, do the exact same thing that, that, you know, do the exact same thing that you see the big artists doing because you can do it all now. 
Yeah. You can do it all for, for, for pennies. You can release all your own stuff. You can have your own YouTube channel. You can release stuff on TikTok. You can do all of this and get your music out there. Um, now granted, everybody's doing that. So it's, it's, it's difficult. I mean, you're, you're, you're up against everyone doing the exact same thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, but then like if there's a band that you like, you know, buy their t-shirt, you know, buy, you know, help retweet their, their, their songs or their music, because it is so difficult for these guys to make a living right now. Like if I was trying to make a living as a musician, whoo, I would be very scared. Um, it would be incredibly hard. You know, these, these small tours that you go on, that you know, yeah. don't pay you a lot. I mean, I know a lot of musicians and I was there for the whole Napster thing. And everybody pushing back and telling Lars from Metallica he was an asshole because he was telling people to stop stealing music. And boy, was he right. I mean, it really hurt musicians and it hurt their ability to make any kind of a living. Um, but it is what it is. It, it was progress. It was going to you couldn't you couldn't stop it. But um, now you're in a situation where, yeah, it's touring and merchandise is where you really make make money and hopefully yeah. get your music on a on an edit, you know, on a, on a TV show, on a movie. But even that's very, very difficult. You know, especially, like, if you play a different kind of music that's kind of quirky or someone like me playing big, like, arena rock. I mean, there's just not a lot of opportunity to get your songs, um, in, you know, on those soundtracks. You know, there's a very limited number of them. And if it's a choice between Swamp Metal All-Stars and ACDC... I think we know who's going to get the call. <laughs> <laughs> well, what you need is a marketing hook, like not Bradley Cooper, right? Where where did this come yeah, from? Yeah, exactly. Right? Where what what is what's the story behind this? Real quick, I mean, we're we're going to be wrapping up here. My 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 hair was long. I had a couple of movies I'd written that I'd sold that I thought were going to go, and I'd grown my hair out. And that movie came out. What was that movie he did where he's the singer songwriter? It's the remake. Um, oh, Stars Born. Stars Born. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it just became this weird thing where everybody thought I was Bradley Cooper. I actually lost a massive job because of it, a huge international commercial. And for the first time, no agent or attorney had ever heard this before, but the uh, Deloitte, the, uh, the advertising agents' attorneys were worried that they could be sued because we were in some way trying to lampoon you know, Bradley Cooper or something. And wow. it, 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 it was, it was fine. It was funny. And it was what it was. It was great. Um, but um, it, it, it was just this kind of weird moment where he was white hot and we both had long hair. And then as soon as I cut my hair off, it wasn't as big of a deal, but it just, since it was becoming such a, a thing, let's see it. And pictures would keep trending or I'd be getting on an airplane and someone would decide that I was Bradley Cooper. And then kids were rushing <laughs> on the plane to get my, my, my autograph. I'm like, you don't want my autograph. You're not going you know, to want to take pictures with. And the thing is, here's the thing. Every time I was like, Hey man, I, I, I'm, I'm not who you think I am. Every time I do that, they're like, like you're not Nathan Stark for Eureka, or you're not Randy on Two Broke Girls, or you're not Max from One Day at a Time, or you're not, you know, President Franklin. And I'd be like, yeah, no, I am sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So I just, I just kind of roll with it. I just have fun with it now. Some people are going to think I'm Bradley Cooper, and some people aren't. But, you know, in real see, life, I, I don't think we look brother. that much alike. Well, I can I see I a resemblance look. enough that maybe you could be brothers, but I, I don't. I, I don't see Bradley Cooper when I look at you. I just, I don't know. It's 
No, it was it was just a thing for a while. And it's a funny joke, and everybody was around. There, but I mean, I'm not kidding. Like, I I couldn't go to a sporting event, or I couldn't go to a bar, or I couldn't go to a concert without it happening. And so all my friends were always like <laughs> laughing about it. So that's oh. that's how I just like put on my bio. You know, not Bradley Cooper. All right. Um, well, not not Bradley Cooper can be found at edquinn.com. This is his website where you can find all sorts of things about his uh, acting and his music. Uh, Ed Quinn Swamp Vivo is the uh, YouTube channel. Is there another YouTube channel? Is this the one where we need to be sending people here? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, that's the main one that gets released through um, DistroKid. I need to okay. do some organizing and some like cleaning, clean, you know, house cleaning because I do have a channel, but the things aren't all going there. But if you want to watch the videos, they're on YouTube. Just you know, Ed Quinn, and they'll they'll come up in the swamp. They cut off Metal All Stars. I think yeah. the title of my band was too long. Um, and then uh, and then everywhere you you stream music, uh, Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, uh, you know, all the all the major stream, YouTube music, all that it's, it's out there as well. All right, Ed Quinn, thanks very much for being here, sir. We will definitely have to do this again. Talk some more music. And, absolutely, and, and absolutely for weird, sure. I'd love weird to. Key we, didn't, we, didn't even get into, we didn't even get into the sci-fi. We didn't even start talking about uh, you know our, our favorite sci-fi movies so we'll, we'll we'll come back we'll do it again we'll have we'll, to do, we'll do that it again. right all right thanks very much for being here sir and thanks all of you for being here and uh don't forget i am in the process i'm going to jump over to radio retro future to uh, be in the hot seat myself so uh we will uh, we will jump over there in the meantime uh catch us on all the different social media platforms that we're on uh join the membership uh three, join three the discord and well, hang on yeah. just a second here. And uh, that's going to do it for us, folks. Thanks very much for being here. Remember, there are four lights. This has been a presentation of SciFiForMe.com. Copyright 2023 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. You're listening to Sci-Fi For Me Radio.